a lot of times people come to me and they're like, well, I'm doing everything right and it's not working. Like, what are you doing right? Because you ate a salad yesterday and because you got on the Peloton for 45 minutes, doesn't mean that you're doing anything right. It just means that you heard salads are good for you and you heard that bike rides can help you sweat. You don't understand the mechanism behind any of it. So let's at least have a 20 minute conversation about why any of those things make sense and are they applicable applicable to your specific physiology in your case and that's where people lose all of their focus and their motivation because they're like oh shit i now have to actually learn about myself i now have to be responsible for my actions and now this is probably going to take an inordinate amount of time that i really don't want to spend doing let's link up with krista on the fix She's a wellness coach with a focus on mental well-being and physical strength. What's going on, everybody? It is your host, Krista Huber, welcoming you to episode 31 of The Fix for an awesome conversation with fellow nutrition coach, Aram Gregorian, better known on Instagram as Four Weeks to the Beach. You guys, if you follow me on social, you've probably seen me tag Aram pretty often on my Instagram stories because I love how straightforward he is. And that's exactly what you can expect from today's conversation. Not that I'm ever here to sugarcoat anything to you guys, but This is a very honest chat and we get right into the reasons why we're all so quick to think that fitness and nutrition has to be so complicated when in reality, as Aaron points out, and I wholeheartedly agree with, it's more about putting in the work of learning about ourselves and that's often kind of uncomfortable. It's much easier to blame different diets, blame different fad trends, whatever you want to call them, than turn inwards, look at ourselves, figure out the things that we could improve upon and then execute on them consistently and repeatedly. But before we dive into all of the details, I've got a very exciting personal announcement related to the show, and that is that we've got our first official sponsor for The Fix Podcast. So today's episode is brought to you by the team over at Paleo Valley, and I was very recently introduced to these guys, and the timing couldn't be more perfect. We talked about it last week. It comes up in today's episode as well. Summer is usually the time when it becomes a little bit harder to maintain our fitness goals. We've got a lot of social events going on. People are road tripping. And I know I speak for myself. I speak for so many of the clients that I work with. When I say that it usually becomes a little bit harder to keep up with our protein goals when we're not preparing all of our own meals. And I often find I'm getting lots of questions about what's a go-to protein snack that I like to keep handy for those moments when I'm in a rush, on the go, whatever it is. So the good news is I've got yet another suggestion to add to that list, and that's thanks to Paleo Valley. So one of Paleo Valley's most popular products is their 100% grass-fed beef sticks. I'll be honest, when it comes to road tripping and you're stopping at the gas station and you really need to grab a snack, one that I often recommend to people but I'm usually a little weary of is some kind of beef jerky or a meat style snack like that. And one of the reasons why I'm not crazy about them is because haven't always loved the texture, a little bit sketched out by some of the ingredients that are often included. And since talking to the team over at Paleo Valley, 
some of those concerns have proven true. I found out that virtually every meat snack on the market except for theirs is made with a processing agent, not to get too sciencey on you guys, but it's called encapsulated citric acid. And basically it's something that's used to guarantee a longer shelf life for those products. But studies have shown that it can cause joint discomfort from stiffness and swelling, muscle aches, upset stomach, and shortness of breath. And if any of that's not enough for you to think twice about where you're getting your beef stick or jerky snack from, some other gross ingredients that are often hiding in other companies' products are hormones, MSG, and for me personally, the worst one I saw on the list was mechanically separated chicken, which is made into a paste from scraps, bones, nerves, blood vessels, definitely not something we want to be eating. So instead, let's stick to Paleo Valley. Like I said, they're 100% grass-fed beef sticks, and they use older methods of fermentation, which actually gives the beef sticks that longer shelf life without any of those harmful acids and chemicals and other questionable ingredients. So everybody listening to the show gets a special discount on their first order. How do you do it? jump over to paleovalley.com, which is linked down in today's show notes. And if you enter code Coach Krista at checkout, you'll receive that 15% discount. So jump on their website, order the beef sticks. Pretty much all of the flavors have around six grams of protein per serving and less than 100 calories. So talk about a perfect snack with some pretty solid macros that you can throw in your bag for your next trip this summer. My personal favorite is the garlic summer sausage. So I encourage you guys to check that one out specifically and let me know what you think of it. With that, I'm gonna stop talking, turn it over to Aram and jump right in to episode 31. Thank you for having me on, it's always, it's always shocking to me when people want to hear me talk because shocking. Why? <laughs> I love your Instagram posts. <laughs> I thousands of minutes a day, so I definitely have a voice for radio. And um, I don't know. I've just been doing this for so long, and I still have that white belt mentality that I just I don't know. To me, it's all very, very new to be considered somebody who knows what they're talking about. Because to me, it's so intuitive, all the stuff that we talk about. It just makes so much sense, and it doesn't seem like like it's so extravagant because it's information that I've seen work and that I've watched in practice succeed. And it's still mind-boggling to me when people fight the ideals that we try to put forth. So to be considered somebody who's spreading the right message and to be recognized by other people in the field who are who are better than what I do. It's humbling to me to, to the nth degree. And it's it's something that I really appreciate. So thank you. Um, as far as who I am and why, I, I'm an immigrant from Russia. I came here when I was five. Uh, it was my family, my mother, my father, my brother, my grandmother. We came here, typical story, four suitcases, no money. Um, no place to live. We had a three-month stint in New York City with some very distant relatives, and then we were basically off and running after that in New Haven, Connecticut. Uh, We settled in Cheshire, Connecticut, where I spent most of my young life, you know, kind of being the upper middle class with being the poor kid in town. So, you know, parents never had any money. Um, 
nutrition and fitness were something that weren't really a big concentration in my life because you have to be thinking about it. You have to be buying sure. sorts of foods that are nourishing you. My parents weren't doing that. Yes, we cooked at home a lot, but Russian food is very decadent and rich and starch and meat and sauce. And, you know, it's stuff that could be preserved when you didn't have resources. Um, after college, I settled in Stanford, Connecticut. I was in finance for six years. I had an economics degree, so I did that until I was laid off in 2012. I had started kind of advising people at the office about what they should eat because we were getting lunch catered every day. You know, and I was, because of my commute from Cheshire to Stanford, it was about an hour each way. So what I would do to beat traffic is I'd go to the gym in the morning, okay. shower, go to the office, and then at night, to be traffic home at night, I would go to the gym again. And then, so fitness was huge for me because it was a way out of a lot of things. It was a way out of bad head spaces. Uh, it was a way to address my confidence issues because growing up in high school, you know, being the foreign kid from in, a, in an upper middle class town, you were getting made fun of a lot. So it was, it was, it was to deal with that, um, gain approval, just all your classic psychological limitations that I think a lot of men have, but don't really speak about. Mm -hmm. uh, and I try to know as I can about it because I think not only does it resonate with men who don't want to talk about it, but it struggles that 80% of my female clients have every day. And when they hear that a man struggles with those same issues, I think it becomes very real to them. They're not alone. You know, it's easy to say, okay, well, I'm a housewife and I hate my body because it's changed so much in the last 20 years because I've had three kids and haven't worked out. How can this guy who's 37 single and works out six hours a day, how could he feel the way that I feel? Well, Susan, I feel the same way that you do just because I have just as much insecurity as you do. I'm being pinned up against the same people that you are just in a different world. So my pressures are no less than yours. I just happen to have time to work on myself probably a little bit more than you do. So I understand the plights of women a lot because it really is difficult. And you know, I, my passion for fitness and nutrition came from the fact that I just enjoyed helping people and being in finance, you weren't really making a world of a difference. You were just accumulating money, spending it like an asshole, <laughs> and, you know, womanizing and doing drugs and drinking. And that's basically was my middle, my mid twenties for a very long time. Um, and then I, by 30, I had switched gears and was basically all into fitness and nutrition. I had started really working with it professionally. And now it's, I could never look back. Well, I didn't know about the finance history because we do have that in common. I didn't last as long as you. I only gave it about two years before I was itching at the fact that I just wasn't necessarily making some monumental, impactful, life-changing, you know, situations for people. And that was something I really wanted to fill my cup. So I 100% identify with you there. Before we get into more of the nutrition and fitness piece, I have one other question that I always kick off on all of my shows, and that is, what is your go-to coffee? I don't know if you drink coffee or if you're a caffeine guy. If you're not, it's okay. You can tell us your morning routine. So I always make about a 12-cup pot every two or three days, and I put it into a glass container in the fridge. I'm a big baby with it, so it's usually like hazelnut, or maple creme brulee flavored, something really that's just, you know. <laughs> you want it to taste good. Not a black coffee guy. 
buttercream cream and you know it, it basically looks like a milkshake so i get made fun of for my coffee a lot but booze <laughs> to me are very similar i don't like them enough to enjoy them in their original format so if you dress it up and put an umbrella in it i'll have a lot of it and i'll enjoy yeah, it yeah <laughs> i like that because very 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 pedestrian that's a good analogy though. I haven't thought about that. And if we want to tie it back to your point about being relatable, just whether that's male to female or just coach to client, I think a lot of people often assume that fitness coaches or nutrition coaches or anybody who's like super, super health conscious are like, Oh, I only drink black coffee or I don't do caffeine. Um, but like, let's be honest, I love my creamer. Like I'm such a big, like I, I put it in there and I'll just account for it, right? Like we make it work. We don't want to tell people, hey, you can't have that thing. Like if that's something you enjoy and a lot of it is like a ritualistic thing, I think too, then let's make it work. Let's strategize, let's figure it out. So let's, because you already said that you account for it, I think it's important to note this. So when you are accounting for creamer, the best way that I found to track it is Pour it into a container on a scale once and time how long you pour it for. That's smart. That's a really good tip. That way you always have that same number in your head when you're pouring in the morning. And then that way you're kind of ballpark. Are you 100% accurate? No. no, but better. But the point that I'm at in my fitness journey, at the point that most of my clients are at, that's better than they would normally do. 100%. Time your pour based on one time that you did it, you'll know exactly how much is in there or fairly close to how much is in there and then you're done which 100 percent highlights the concept of consistency and why that's so important in pretty much any principle of what we're trying to preach in terms of coaching and i know that's a topic you cover often on your fantastic instagram quotes which is the perfect plug for your instagram handle four weeks to the beach where did that come from why is that the signature for your brand so Four weeks to the beach came from where kind of where I was at. So back in 2015, I was in pretty good shape, but I wanted to like challenge myself. So I decided that I would take a short period of time and just go balls to the wall kind of and, and just really just train my ass off and eat really, really well to do a photo shoot. My buddy's a really good photographer down in Miami. And he'd always push me to do it. I was always really, really uncomfortable to do it because I just, I, I feel as though I'm the least photogenic human being on the planet. It also comes from the ugly duckling syndrome that I carry around underneath my, my shirt every single day. But it was a really good experience for me. The process leading up to it, it realistically took six weeks. Okay. Well, basically because my daily maintenance of my life was so good, I didn't have to go all that hard and all that extreme to go from like 12 or so body percent body fat down to like seven to where I was like, just basically chiseled to the point. I had never looked at, I had never looked like that in my life. Like I had never been shredded. I had never been like vascular. Like I'd always been kind of just beefy and like, I, everybody says I look like a pit bull. So <laughs> I, I think we look alike. So it was realistically six weeks. It was a little bit on the invasive side. Like I basically, I didn't go out to eat at all. All of my yeah. meals and I got them from a meal prep service a few towns over. Um, the only thing I put in my body that was liquid was water or coffee. Um, I worked out six days a week and then basically 
two to four days of cardio, depending on how things were progressing. So it was, an, was it more extreme than the average person would want to undergo? Probably. But the point was, was that here I was in such a decent condition already because my, my every day was always about 85 to 90% adherent that I didn't have to like starve myself or kill myself or spend 12 months to try to transform myself. I was already basically there. I just had to fine tune and chisel away a couple of things. So the concept of four weeks to the beach was you should never really be more than a few weeks away from the body that you want, that you, that you want to show off to people because I don't give a shit what people tell you. At the end of the day, this is usually about looking and feeling good naked. And yes, there are health implications of looking good. You're, you're Obviously, if you're taking care of yourself from a phytonutrient standpoint or a macro and micronutrient standpoint, you're gonna feel better. Your sleep will improve, your health will improve, your blood markers will improve. But a lot of this is really driven by vanity and a lot of people don't wanna say that out loud because they feel as though they'll be judged for it, but it's bullshit. If you are truly going down this road because you want to look better or you want to impress that ex-girlfriend or boyfriend or you want to get your husband to finally pay attention to you again after 20 years, fine. If that's the reason, if that's what makes you accountable and makes you responsible for your own journey, then do it. And there should be absolutely zero judgment attached to it because the only reason why I go to the gym and eat well is because I want to look a certain way. And until I'm tired of that pursuit, it's not going to stop. And that's really where it came from. Yeah. It's basically four weeks to the beach is perpetual maintenance. I love and that. You either step up your game a little bit to get to really, really, you know, kind of extenuating heights, or you can back yourself down and be even more comfortable. But you're always within that eight week range to where if you just hone in your skill set, you'll be beach ready, photo shoot ready, whatever the hell ready. And if you want to back it down, you're not that far removed. You didn't put on 50 pounds that you're now gonna have to take six years to come off. Because people assume that all of this just happens overnight. Like, oh, like, you know, you see all these before and after pictures and you see these InstaFit models who look amazing working out with their shirts off. But these people have looked that way for decades. It didn't just happen. Like, if I started demonstrating exercise I did at the gym with my shirt off, people would be impressed because every muscle is striated and everything is popping and I'm sweaty and it's glistening. and it, that, <laughs> so there's a sex appeal to it when you of see course. In reality, it's, it's boring. It's the same shit every single day. The movements really don't change. The, the nutritional protocol really only goes up and down depending on what your goals are from an aesthetic or strength standpoint. So it's the boring stuff that people refuse to believe in every single day that works. But unfortunately, the fitness and nutrition industry is so, such a powerful marketing tool that they know how to appeal to your desperation and they know that skin and sex sells and they know that that's what they're going to pitch you with. So they'll put the 25 year old booty model, you know, using a rubber band that barely has any resistance and she'll be building her ass. Meanwhile, when she takes that rubber band off and goes and squats 200 pounds for sets of six, the housewife doesn't want to do that because she's afraid that she'll get bulky or she's afraid that she'll get hurt. And that's where the misconception and the lies start. And it's, I think it's, it's, it's up to us as good coaches to say, Anybody that looks good and is performing at a high level is doing shit that you just don't believe in because you refuse to believe that it's going to take this extraordinary amount of time, but it is. I, I love your honesty and just you going right into it. I, I think that's why that shows through in all of the content that you put out. And I, I know that's why we connected. And I really wanted to bring you on for this conversation because 
it's for highlighting all the things you just pointed out of this like sexy aspect and that appeal so often I find myself saying to my clients like nothing about this is sexy at all so just get that out of your head right now and a lot of it I think you alluded to this in the very beginning and saying like a lot of this has always been very intuitive for you like it just makes sense it's also not necessarily rocket science but I think the marketing piece has made people believe that like they tried this, they tried that, this didn't work, that didn't work. So now this, it's just this perpetual cycle of like, well, let me search for the next thing. And like the first thing didn't work. I'm going to put it in air quotes because a lot of that has to do with your approach to it and your belief system. Um, and then it's like, okay, I'm off to the next. Like there was something wrong with that. It wasn't for me versus taking a very hard look in the mirror and assessing how bad do I want this? What actually are my goals? I think that's what you were getting at and mentioning the aesthetic piece. And then what's it going to take to just do it and repeat it again and again and again? Because that's the only way it works. Like you said, it's, it's not about whatever protocol you used once. It's about whatever protocol lasts and whatever you know that you can do a year, five, 10 years from now. Nothing has changed. Like at, at 15, I was bench pressing, squatting, deadlifting, shoulder press. At 37, I'm still doing the same things. I'm stronger. I have more knowledge base of how to do those things properly and waste less time. I know how to now incorporate a nutritional protocol that matches my training to produce mm -hmm. a more desired outcome. So those things have now pieced together in a much more cohesive manner. But the only way that we learned at 15 was by doing it. Right. And the only way we learned at 15 was by buying every muscle magazine that we could get our hands on. Arnold's Bible you know, going through the shelf and, and seeing what supplements made sense and didn't talking to guys that were 40 years older than us at the gym, who have been doing it for 40 years longer than we have. And that's really all it was is because we really wanted to learn because we were meatheads and now take that same meathead mentality of just grind it out and do the work, but now actually apply real science to it. And now you don't have to waste time and energy and you can really be focused on the direction that you're going in because when I tell all my clients, the speed is irrelevant. I don't give a shit how fast you're driving down the road if you're going the wrong way. You're just not getting anything done. You're spinning your wheels, you're wasting your energy. You're probably gonna get frustrated and fall off the road at some point. But if you turtle your way down the road forward in the right direction all the time, very seldom will you fail or get bored or get complacent or want to stop because you're going to see little trickles of results here and there, which will keep you hooked. Like I compare it to golf. Like I'm a shitty golfer. 18 holes of golf is just mind numbingly painful to me. Like if golf was at stopped at 10 holes, it'd be perfect. But it's always that one shot that was good. That makes you want to play again. Like I hate golf, but if somebody's like, Hey, do you want to go golf? I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not? Because out of, out of, you know, 110 shots or strokes that I take, five of them will be so noteworthy, it'll keep me coming back for more. That's fitness and nutrition. You're going to fall way more often than you won't. You're going to have that nasty meal on Saturday night that you'll regret on Sunday morning. You're going to have a week where you had business meetings and social functions and the kids were sick and everything got screwed up and you couldn't work out and you feel like shit and you feel like a waterlogged, bloated mess because you're on your cycle. That's going to happen, but that's not going to happen week in and week out. It's going to come in dribs and drabs and knowing that those things are going to happen should not throw you off mentally to where you just throw your hands up and say, none of this is working. I'm done. 
So why do you think people do that? Like, do you think it just goes back to this marketing piece of having the expectation of instantaneous results and, and, and the speed component? Because I think speed will ultimately be a great way for us to kind of contextualize this concept of metabolic adaptation, because I think that's where it kind of comes in. Um, yes, the marketing arm makes you think it's going to happen quickly because people just don't want to do the work, right? I mean, if you really look at it, there's seven and a half billion or so people in the world. If you really look at the success rate of each individual in this world and define success however you'd like, but let's call it monetary, social, relationship-wise, there's not that many high-functioning people in the world. We give the world way too much credit. You think everybody's really smart and very successful because that's what Instagram shows us. But in reality, the chick who's got 500,000 followers who's in a thong all day long is living in her parents' house, driving her father's car to her Dunkin' Donuts job, making zero money, but she's getting free bikinis sent to her every single day. So people think she lives this illustrious life where she doesn't. So we're being fooled every single day, thinking that everything is going to be instantaneous and quick. But if you ask the dude who you know, started XYZ company that's now making $200 million a year, it took him three decades and a hundred failures to get there. And if he stopped, he would not be where he's at. You know what I mean? Like I, I've trained female CEOs who have four children and who run companies and they still make it all work because they just refuse to not do the work Yeah. and they won't allow their busy lifestyle to be an excuse because if they faltered as a mother and then they faltered as a, as a business owner, the last person that they're going to fail is themselves. And that's the first person that should be taken care of because then everything else gets better. So if, if you, like you said at the beginning, like filling your cup, it's important. Like if you're, why do they always tell you on the airplane, put the mask on yourself first, because you can't be effective in anything you do. If you're depleted and you feel like shit emotionally, physically, mentally, how are you supposed to be an effective parent or an effective employee or somebody who's a good friend and a good coworker? You're just not going to. So this idea that we're supposed to put ourselves second because everybody else comes first is bullshit. Like take care of your fitness, take care of your nutrition, move off and hydrate, sleep well. It's not rocket science. And then you're going to perform better when you wake up and you'll have more energy to all the stuff that you think is impossible now because you're dragging acid three because somebody told you that intermittent fasting was the way to lose weight. And that's really what it comes down to is just because it worked for XYZ person at the office doesn't mean it necessarily applies to you. Understand where the hell you're at. Like I just moved to San Diego three weeks ago. My next door neighbor and his girlfriend are like in their mid twenties. She's a night nurse. Her schedule's all over the map. She's got, I think Crohn's and IBS. So she's got a lot of gut health issues. And they were asking me, picking my brain about stuff. And he was like, should I do intermittent fasting to lose weight? Now this guy, if he weighs 170 pounds soaking wet, I'd be surprised. And he's about six foot one. So he has no fat. Yeah. He changes body composition to become a little bit more muscular. In my opinion, probably yes. So I told him, I said, why would you intermittent fast? You don't have any gut health issues, which would give your stomach a reset to not eat for that long. You don't know how many calories you're eating now. So why would you be in a reductionary pattern if you don't really know? So I sent him a link to Chronometer, which is the app I use to track food. I sent him a link on how to weigh and measure food on a scale. And I sent them a link to a scale on Amazon. I said, do these three things for the next two weeks. And then we'll have another conversation. That's a lot more productive because if you don't know what you're doing, how the hell do you know where you're going to go? Right. It's comes up all the time and I'm smiling so big because that is literally like, if you get an email from me and you want to, you want to have that intro call to wrap it up and you know, 
decide if we're going to move forward together, the three things on the list are download one of those apps to start tracking your food. Do it for the next five days and just give me some info. I'm not even going to tell you what to do. Get a food scale and then let's talk. Because you can't fix what you don't measure. You can't manage what you don't measure, right? So it's like, how can we even actually evaluate if any of these trending diets are right for you? Like, it's not to say that they couldn't work for you, but if we have nothing to go off of, like, it doesn't mean anything is is really how I look at it, right? It's like, well, what are we working with? Like, why are you actually wanting to jump into this thing? And if we can't address that question, then to go back to your analogy of earlier of like, you're, who cares how fast you're driving the car if you're doing it in the wrong direction, we don't even know which direction to go because we just don't have the information right in front of us to actually see it. Well, I think it's also because every, every school of thought in modern world has taught us to be reductionary reduce calories, you know, reduce this intake, reduce that intake. You know, we're at the end of the day, we're, we're, we're just machines that need fuel. So if you're a machine that runs a lot and runs often, you need more fuel than the machine that doesn't. So why would you put less gas in a car that drives 300 miles than you would normally? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, to me, that's a very intuitive concept. If mm -hmm. I move often and intensely, I need gas in the tank to be able to do all that stuff. Now, if I'm a couch potato, I do jack shit all day long. I don't work out. I literally just live this sedentary lifestyle like a vegetable. Then, yeah, I probably don't need a ton of fuel. I just need enough to get me through the day and I'll probably be okay. But that same person isn't running into a fitness and nutrition lifestyle because they just don't care. Right. They're okay right. the couch and being sedentary. So they, they don't require any fuel. They they have a food quality problem most likely because they're probably ordering in. They're probably not moving after any meal and they're probably in very poor health overall because they've chosen to live that life. Fine. God forbid that you complain about it because I'm going to show it. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you the nine things you could do right now to change yourself. But if a lot of times people come to me and they're like, well, I'm doing everything right and it's not working. I'm like, well, what are you doing right? Because you ate a salad yesterday because you got on the Peloton for 45 minutes doesn't mean that you're doing anything right. It just means that you heard salads are good for you and you heard that bike rides can help you sweat. You don't understand the mechanism behind any of it. So let's at least have a 20 minute conversation about why any of those things make sense and are they applicable, applicable to your specific physiology in your case. And that's where people lose all of their focus and their motivation because they're like, oh shit, I now have to actually learn about myself. I now have to be responsible for my actions. And now this is probably going to take an inordinate amount of time that I really don't want to spend doing. And that, you know, I think that's a good segue probably into talking about the caloric implications of dieting. If you don't know how many calories, A, your body burns at rest, you don't have a starting point. Yeah. If you, if you don't know how many calories you're consuming, on average, on a daily basis, over at least a few days or at least a week. I do seven, you do five. I've heard people do three weeks. I like data. The more data I have, the more I can analyze, the more I can throw back at you to make you responsible for it. Right, right. Give me, give me three weeks of tracking data, even better. Um, and so now... We know what your resting metabolic rate is based on your age, weight, and height, which is really formulaic, and it's not 100% accurate, but at least as a coach, we have a starting Something. point. Right, right. I think the problem is, is like, 
when you go get blood work done at the doctor's office, they look at your blood markers that if you fall within range, you're healthy. Mm-hmm. If you're out of range, you're unhealthy, and now there's a there's a there's a flag to learn. Nutrition and fitness isn't that simple because we don't really understand from a scientific standpoint what those barometers of normal is, because every barometer for normal is different per that person. So there could be somebody who is built exactly the same as somebody else, but because of their internal characteristics, their genetics, their inputs that they've put into their body over the last 30 years, their hormonal profile, their stress levels, their sleep quality, they can have two different resting metabolic rates at the same exact age, weight, and height. And we don't know. Muscle mass is a factor. Fat mass is a factor. All of these things are variables, and people think that it's one thing that's holding them back as opposed to this entire holistic 360-degree view of somebody's internal and external environment that makes such a massive difference. That's why this shit isn't easy. It's, it's hard because it requires work. It's not complicated, though. And I think that's what we always have to remind our clients of is, all I'm asking you to do is take X amount of steps, drink X amount of water, and stay within these, within these measures or macronutrient counts. I think if you stay there for at least a couple of months, you'll feel better. Once you get really good at that, then we can start to intensify your protocol and give you something a little bit more challenging to work on. And along the way, are you doing all the work that was asked of you? Are you taking the steps? Like I'll ask this question every week on my check-in calls. How are your steps, water, and digestion this week? I have some people that are like, I had 9,600 steps a day on average. I drank 130 ounces a day on average and my digestion was above average. Great, that's a really good review. I can live with that. Then I get good, good, good. Wait, what does that mean? I, and I get the same exact scenarios. Like some people are one way and some people are just like, well, it was good. That's such a relative term. Well, good meaning what? You actually walked out of the house and grabbed the paper? Good means you took 65 laps around your house with your dog and you accumulated 12? <laughs> now, if I gave you goals and you told me that you, like what I had put at the top of my email list, uh, when I had my confirm email, after the initial consult, I always send them a follow-up. And it always says, if you do these three things and nothing else, you'll be successful, which is track your hit your step goal five out of seven days, hit your water goal five out of seven days, and track everything that goes in your mouth without any kind of emotional attachment to it. If you do those three things, nine out of 10 times, you will feel better when you now than when you started. But we still have to quantify things in order to change them. If we don't quantify them, we don't know how to move. So going back to resting metabolic rate, like I had a woman that I started with on Saturday, her resting metabolic rate at about 160 pounds. I think she's in her mid forties at about five foot six, but I think relatively around 1400. Okay. The concept of that means the lay person that's on the other side of this conversation is that if you were to lay on your bed all day long, your body would, would it would require 1400 calories worth of energy to be burned just to keep your body functionally alive. Meaning digestive tract is moving the way it needs to move. Your heart's pumping blood throughout your system all the chemical reactions that need to catalyze to work are happening. You are alive. You're not thriving. You're not jumping up and down. You're not feeling like you're on top of the world, but you're alive and you're existing and you're fine. Add in even a little bit of activity to that, meaning I now have to go to the fridge. I have to go to the bathroom. I have to walk up and down the stairs, throw another two or 300 calories a day on top of that. Add in exercise on top of that. Now you're looking at even more caloric requirement, energy burn. 
So this idea that we're supposed to just keep eating less, less and less in order to lose weight. Yes, in some cases that makes sense because you do have to be in a calorie deficit in order to lose weight, but where's that deficit coming from? And what is your body adapted to over time based on the inputs you've given it? So if, you've, if you have an RMR of 1400 and you've been consistently eating 1100 unknowingly, that means you're technically in a 300 calorie deficit, not losing weight anymore, which means now that's your new resting metabolic rate. Effectively, that's kind of the calorie level that your body is now sustaining that weight at. So for you to truly lose weight, you'd have to be probably five to 800 calories lower than that number. Which is totally miserable. Like who wants to live there? I just don't even know how that would be possible because I've seen that so many times where for whatever reason, the magic number was 1,200 for women and 1,500. Yeah. I don't know where it happens, where it started. I, I, it's ridiculous to me that it's even – some of the things that I've read since I started this business, was, you should be consuming at least nine calories per pound of desired body weight. That should be your minimum consumption. So if you want to weigh 100 pounds, you should be eating at least 900 calories a day. At least. That's the bare bones minimum for a hundred pound human being. Now, obviously change that to a 300 pound human being who wants to be 200 pounds. So 200 times nine, now is 1800 calories. So where are these numbers of, of sub 12 or sub 1100 or a thousand or 800 are coming from? I don't know. And the unfortunate reality is doctors don't get this stuff. There's a lot of registered dietitians who don't address the metabolism and they just look at somebody who's fat and tell them that they eat too much. And I've had so many cases where people were overweight and they're afraid of food. They, they consume erratically, but they don't consume enough. So their body is constantly living in the state of, I don't know when my next meal is coming. This is what I'm adapted to. I don't really need to burn off any more energy. I'm just going to take whatever I'm getting and store it. And so that's where it's going to be held as fuel. And it's such a low amount that anything over that, immediately starts to spike my weight because that's when it becomes detrimental to health and wellness for the body to survive and thrive. So for example, there's some females that I've talked to who are 130, 140, who are very, very muscular and very active. I've seen them eat as much as 3,200 calories, which is more than most of the men that I work with eat. Yeah. I I can't even get to break 2,000. And then I show them a picture of this little tiny human woman and I'm like, this woman is eating 1,500 calories more than you. Well, yeah, but she, and then the, the, the plethora of excuses starts yep. pouring out. Now, granted, that body is full of muscle, which requires a ton of energy to keep up, which is what people don't realize that ladies, gentlemen, children, old folks, anybody listening, put out as much muscle and keep it as possible because it allows you a lot of flexibility with what you eat. If I didn't look the way that I did, I would not be able to drink on the weekend if I wanted to. I would not be able to eat the burger that I felt like eating without any ramifications really at all, other than maybe gut health and discomfort. But muscle is a sponge for food. And if you start to address your activity as I want to build and retain muscle mass as opposed to I just want to become a smaller version of my old self, your entire life will change because now you're actually going to have a, a vehicle for all that food as opposed to having it just sit there and go nowhere for use. So that's how you pair fitness with nutrition. And I mean, we could have 97 podcasts about why yeah, this doesn't work. 
is people, A, just don't train hard enough, especially when it comes to women. They just don't want to lift heavy enough, often enough. Um, there's this fundamental fear that they're going to look like me overnight. Their voice is going to get hoarse. They're going to develop body hair. And all of a sudden, muscles will... I've been trying to look like this for 25 years. And it is a full-time job that nobody wants. So this idea that if you walk into a gym and put 135 on the bar and deadlift it six times, that you're going to wake up with hamstrings that are enormous tomorrow morning is impossible. Ladies, you don't have the hormones for it. And even if you do have an abundance of testosterone, good. Great. I'm glad you do, because that's going to help you down the road. 100%. You'll actually be able to build and retain some muscle mass, which means your, best, your resting metabolism will increase. You're going to burn more calories while you work out because you have more metabolically active tissue and you're going to become like a sponge that we just spoke about, which means it'll give you way more flexibility when you eat. So it's not about less. I want more. What's the highest number that allows you to still get to where you want to be as opposed yes. to what's the bare bones minimum mm -hmm. of where I need to feel okay? I always try to talk to clients about, you know, especially when it's somebody new and we focus on their macronutrients, I always really try to emphasize to them that that's a lot of times the last thing that I want to change. Because what I'm looking to find for you is where can we maximize? Like what is your topping out point in the sense that we can maintain, we can lose by adjusting other pieces. Like I like to call them different levers that we can pull on, whether it is their steps, what their specific training protocol is. Um, you know, how their sleep is. That stuff is really underrated. And I think that we have a pro both an opportunity and a responsibility in our positions as coaches to talk about those pieces more because I think a lot of it is in addition to people just not wanting to put in the work, it's that lack of awareness around it because it's coupled with this mentality of like, just go, go, go all the time. And like, in addition to this whole idea we keep harping on of like everyone thinking, well, like if I eat less, then I'm going to get the results I want. I think the training piece comes in. That's like, well, I'm just going to keep working out more. I'm going to jump on the Peloton again. I'm going to do more cardio. And it's like, that's again, that car analogy, like that doesn't mean you're driving in the right direction. Right. So as a jumping off point to that, let's kind of walk through, like I know with whether you want to talk about the context of like somebody that you've worked with who maybe has come to you and like just kind of walked me through their history. Like if you have, I'm sure you do. So I shouldn't say if, like walk me through the classic case. Like both of us work with predominantly female clients so we can keep it a female. Most of my listeners are female. They're, this is the case I run into. 1200 calories that magic number thrown around there they are working out six days a week a lot of cardio but very randomized training because it's mostly a boutique type fitness class that doesn't have the structure that they really need um and they're just like super afraid of carbs and usually their protein's lacking so when we look at their food a lot of those 1200 calories are really sporadic and all over the place and it's just the next conversation is like, well, let's increase our calories. And they're like, but that sounds like the exact opposite of what I came to you for. So how do you walk people through that? How do you break that down for them? So I, I describe to them what it means to live in a constant state of less and what that means to them physiologically. So basically I tell them, if your body is now used to eating less, in order to lose weight, you'll have to eat even less. Do you want to eat less than you're eating now? No, okay. So if you don't want to eat less than you're eating now, Let's titrate up very slowly 
while making sure that we tailor make your activity to be more conducive to what your goals are. So that means let's stop the bullshit of jumping up and down and falling on the ground and getting up as fast as humanly possible, lifting two pound dumbbells. Let's either hire a trainer for a little bit of money or let's learn how to properly move through the weight room and understand what each joint action does and how to build up certain musculature. Focus on big movements, understand how to squat properly, understand how to hinge properly, understand how to pull properly, and understand that if you're doing something over 20 times, there's 0% chance that you're focused on mind-muscle connection at all after that 12th rep. Because yeah, I think that's a really great point. People underlook that. Well, I mean, that's, think about it. I mean, you train hard and often. Yeah. Like, think about how many times you've gotten to that 15th rep and you're starting to lose a little bit of focus because it's oh, yeah. too much. The rep right now, I'm in a training phase where I don't do more than 15 reps of any exercise. And even when selecting my weight, it's really like get to 12 and you should still have two more left in the tank. Doesn't mean you got to do them. Right. And that's fine. And, but that's, that's getting to a point where you're essentially exhausting the muscle tissue right. at that point, which is what everybody get to. Like if I see somebody move through something while they're either paying attention to what everybody else is doing or they're watching the screen or they're just frivolously throwing their arms and legs up and down, I know that you're not working that hard. I can tell. Like when I, you know, training folks doesn't mean I'm a rep counter. It means I'm watching your foot position. It means I'm watching your knees. It means I'm watching your posture. I want all my clients to count their reps themselves because it keeps them focused on the movement because there's already enough for them to think about, right? Are my shoulders in the right position? Is my lumbar curve proper? Are my knees aligned over my toes the right way? There's a lot of, I get it. So for them, it's not as intuitive as it is for you and I, because we have right. the experience. Mm -hmm. You should still be an active participant in your own change. Like if, I, if you're just sitting there expecting me to, oh, how many did I just do? I literally look at them sometimes and say, I don't fucking know because I wasn't counting because that's not what you're paying me for. You're paying me so you don't get hurt and you're paying me so I progress you through these movements properly to then derive an actual physiological change. Your job is to do it well and to count how many reps you're doing. That's it. So if you wanted a rep accountant, go to Planet Fitness and play 20 bucks an hour for a trainer. If you want a professional, pay $120 an hour and get somebody who's actually invested in your change. And that's the difference between ticket prices. That's where so I mean, being in San Diego now for three weeks, I've gone to four different gyms. Nightmarish conditions when it comes to training. Trainers on their phone like this, not paying attention to form, three or four different people training at the same time with absolutely no regard for what's going on. Very poor exercise selection, very poor execution. And this is an epidemic that I've seen in Connecticut. I've seen it now here. And it just keeps happening and happening. And group X doesn't help. Like I can walk into a group fitness class and get a lot out of it. I have 20 years of lifting experience. The person who's walking into an orange theory class for the first time ever since getting off the couch since 2013, is it really a good idea for them to be swinging a kettlebell? Is it a good idea for them to be pre-exhausted on a rower or a treadmill and then go swing a kettlebell? Or should we hammer those people on form for at least four to six weeks as an introductory period and then slowly introduce them into some of the more advanced movements. But again, at $20 a class, nobody cares. The price point makes it accessible for everybody. doesn't mean it's right for everybody. So as a, as a paying customer for all of these different modalities that you're trying to do, 
I understand that group fitness is more affordable. I get it. But you have to earn your way into those situations because you want to be able to get to a point where you're not getting hurt and you're not overexerting yourself in the wrong direction. And remember, just because there's a pool of sweat underneath you when you're done doesn't mean you did anything good. It just means that you were warm and your body had to expend liquid to get you to not die. You could do the same thing in a sauna with no weights. You just stand there and sweat for 45 minutes. Did you lose any weight? Did you burn calories? Not any more than you would have anywhere else. So this idea that we're just because we're sweaty messes and that we're so tired and it was just such, it was such a good work. What made it a good work? There's days where I walk out of the gym without a bead of sweat drop. But I had 315 on the bar and I did it with perfect concentration. And for the next three days, my body tells me feedback wise, hey, you worked out the last three days. Yeah. Because the stimulus applied to the muscle tissue. So it's no different with nutrition, right? With nutrition, it's the same thing. It's got to be concentrated and tailor-made to your individual body. So if you have bad hips and bad knees, maybe dropping to the floor and jumping back up again isn't the best idea. If you're somebody who has shit gut health and you can't process certain foods, maybe getting a, a stool test to understand which vegetables that you're eating are inflaming you or which meats or fishes you're eating are inflaming you or should you be eating all those beans that every vegan friend has told you to now eat. So there's so much information and it's up to us to package it in a way that's digestible and usable for every individual. But there's a reason why we do one-on-one -on -one coaching because I have to be able to come up with a plan that only you can do because it's gonna be vastly different than the plan that they can do. And that's why it's so hard because everybody's body processes things different. I went to a doctor yesterday and right from the get-go, immediately explained to me that he was on the carnivore diet and he lost 145 pounds. Now, there were so many things I wanted to say, but I wanted his help because I need him for prescriptions because I'm on medicinal testosterone and I need to keep getting it or else my body's just going to shut down and I'm going to not be in a good place. So aside from me going to buy it illegally, I have to go through a medicinal source. He is my medicinal source, so I have to kind of play ball with him. So, so many things I wanted to say to him. What, what were you like prior to starting carnivore? How many carbs were you eating? How little were you moving? And how little muscle mass did you have? What was your stress level like? How shitty was your sleep? Were you mostly sedentary? I would assume since you're a doctor, you probably sat in that chair all day long and didn't move much. So did, was it carnivore that worked for you? Was only eating meat the only way you could have lost that weight? No. But it was the thing that you got convinced was going to help you. So that's the route you took. So now you're unethically, in my opinion, selling that same ideology to every patient that walks through your door, which in my opinion as a doctor is bullshit because you're not treating the individual. You're giving them your own bias based on what works for you. It'd be like me telling every single one of my female clients, you have to eat and lift exactly like I do. How many okay, times would I have? crazy. Zero. Yeah. It's insane to me because they can't do what I do and they won't do what I do. So why would my doctor go, oh, he even said towards the end of our account, you should probably think about, I saw some inflammation. You should probably switch over to only carnivore. We're not meant to eat plants. I'm like, no, we're not omnivores. Human beings haven't been eating plants for thousands of years. <laughs> like dogs are carnivores. I get that. My dog eats only raw meat but that's because that's in his dna he was meant to eat only meat 
dribs and drabs of whatever vegetables he can find. That's why kibble for dogs is not good, in my opinion. But it's also been proven in theory how many times. Human beings have digestive enzymes in their stomach to process out meat and starch and vegetables. So why not eat a balanced, nutritious diet based on what your specific needs and goals are, as opposed to saying, I'm cutting out all meat and only being vegan. I'm cutting out all vegetables and only being carnivore. It's like the whole Republican-Democrat conversation, right? Like there's, there yeah. has to be because without polarization, there's no argument and everything is just way too reasonable. What do you mean? I can just live in this balanced place where I feel pretty good all the time? That's bullshit. I have to be able to fight about my diet. And like if my Instagram handle doesn't say like 360 vegan chick, nobody's going to care about what I have to <laughs> But like it doesn't need to be that polarizing. Just understand if it works for you, great. But you're not an authority figure that now go tell other people who may have deficiencies in vitamins that you don't even know about. Now you're telling them to cut out a certain entire food group that might have been the only source of that specific mineral. Now they've lost that and you're putting them in a deeper deficiency. So this blanket advice that people are just using and consuming and getting without any investment of themselves into that information is criminal to me because you're preying on people's lack of awareness and you're preying on people's desperation. That's why our job is so hard because it's our job to teach them that this is going to suck because it's going to take longer than you think it's going to because the 12-week fix isn't real. It's going to require you to do a lot of work that you've never done before because nobody actually ever taught you how to eat food. You just started putting it in your mouth at an early age and because it tasted good, you kept consuming it. It doesn't mean that it was right for you. It's just the way you grew up. And now as an adult, you're investing yourself into all these diets and cleanses and teas and fixes because now you've gotten off track so long for so far that the only thing that's going to work for you in your mind is some extreme measure. As opposed to now, you've done this for 40 years. Let's take the next 40 years and change your life for real. You brought up so many great points in there, but one in going back to your story related to that doctor and just kind of like your thought process of, okay, I'm sitting here and I have 17 other questions for this person about what else did you actually change in your lifestyle brings up a really great point about biofeedback and actually collecting it. And I know as a coach in your check-ins, you include this information, as do I. So many of the other coaches that I collaborate with look to for guidance. Like we all have really similar structures with spreadsheets and, you know, just other formats to collect this information. But let's say somebody listening out there is intimidated by the idea of working with a coach. I think a lot of it comes down to being afraid to actually need to finally put in this work and kind of face it. Um, or they then use price point as a potential, let's call it excuse, but maybe expense is an issue for them. What advice do you have for somebody if they're listening to this and they're sitting there and they're like, I know I'm not happy with myself, but I hear you, Aaron. Like I hear all the things you're saying that like this shouldn't have to be that difficult in the sense of that it shouldn't have to be complicated, but where can I kind of start? Like if I just wanted to do something on my own and then say maybe in a month from now, feel like I could have the confidence to go approach a coach and be like, hey, I'm ready to do this one-on-one -on -one and really get that accountability. Where would you advise somebody to just get going? I mean, as a coach, my job is to identify your biggest limiting factors first and then work triage those and then work my way down from there. So as an individual, I think you should be very, very, you should do an inventory check on yourself and see what you suck at the most. Are you an active? 
Do you eat like shit? Do you eat out often? Are you eating late at night but not in the morning? Are your energy levels off? Does your sleep suck? Are you always stressed out and on edge? So find the thing that, that you know bothers you the most as an individual. And I'm not saying, hey, I look down and I'm not happy with what I look like. Forget what you look like. Right. Stop focusing on your appearance as your only barometer for success. Because the reality is, is if this shit were easy, everybody would be walking around with glutes and a six pack and they're not. Because that is, is a very invasive, hard lifestyle to maintain. I'm living proof of it, so are you. It's not easy. But find out the thing that you know is bothering you and sucks the most. So if it's sleep, pour all of your energy into making sure that your sleep gets better by any means necessary. Because if you're not well-rested, your body's not going to recover. If your body doesn't recover, the seven hours of Peloton riding you do is going to be ineffective and probably going to damage your joints and your tissue versus actually helping you. So this, your hormonal production will go down. Your body's ability to digest will go down. Your mood will change. Your cognitive function will change. So if you're not addressing sleep, forget about all the other stuff changing. If it's movement, find ways to plug in a little bit more motion throughout every single one of your days, whether it's I'm getting off the computer for 10 minutes and I'm going to go walk non-negotiably for 10 minutes around the block. I don't give a shit if it's around your house. I don't care if it's up and down your stairs. Whatever gets you moving your two feet forward is what I want you to do. If it's water, find a way to take one of these and know that put a limit on it. I need five of these a day. That's going to equal 140 ounces. That's about what I need. Perfect. I'm not done until that's done. So it doesn't have to be a monumental all in. Everything has to get overhauled immediately change. It has to be, what do I know I suck at the most? Like when I came here, I was pretty good about doing everything while I was here. The one thing I was giving myself too much leniency on was at night when the day ended. And because I'm in this new place and I feel like I'm on vacation right now, I would fire up Uber Eats after I smoked my marijuana, full disclosure, and I would eat like shit. And I was eating like shit. I mean, I've been here for three weeks now. I think I ate like shit two out of those three weeks, almost nightly. And guess what happens when you eat like shit nightly for two straight weeks? And you're used to normally not eating like that. Your digestive health starts to suffer. You wake up waterlogged, bloated, and in gastrointestinal distress every day. So you didn't get fat. You're just bloated and uncomfortable. That's what people misinterpret for being fat, right? Like if a woman hasn't been eating carbs for six weeks, and all of a sudden she goes to a wine and cheese party, hammers down a bunch of rosé, and then takes down 40 or 50 cheese and crackers, yeah, you're going to get bloated from that because your body's not used to processing out all that food and those carbs. So tomorrow morning when you wake up, did the scale go up or did your belly just hang over your pants a little bit because you're distended? That's a natural reaction to change. So that's the one thing that I recommend everybody. It doesn't have to be this monumental everything. Today, Monday, and it's always Monday. Always Monday. Monday. All change. I'm going to, signing up for the gym. I'm getting a trainer, I'm buying a food scale, I'm getting the workout clothes that I've always wanted because it's going to motivate me to go to the gym, and then I'm going to throw away all the shit in the pantry, I'm going to buy nothing but this and that, whatever. Stop. Like, there's 0% chance you're going to be able to sustain any of that. Pick one thing. Be like, I suck at eating protein. Okay, so now I'm going to add protein to every meal. I suck at drinking water. Great. I'm going to have a water jug that keeps me accountable all day. I'm going to download one of the 900 apps that reminds me to drink water. Or I'm going to buy the device that tracks my steps to now I have something to look at to say today was better than yesterday or tomorrow needs to get better than today was. Sleep. I'm going to 
shut down Netflix because I don't need to rewatch the same show I've watched 800 times and I'm going to actually get my ass to sleep at a reasonable hour so that tomorrow morning when I'm giving myself the excuse that I'm so tired because I had so much going on last night, but really I watched Game of Thrones in its entirety for the eighth time. <laughs> but it was 100% that I was not productive the next day. So all of this is in our hands. All of this is 100% controlled by us and no other person. If you have children, great, your choice. You should be able to navigate that lifestyle still. Just because you're a mom doesn't mean you still can't work on yourself. Just because you're a busy mom who also has a career doesn't mean you still can't work on yourself. I have a woman who is a glowing example who works from home for a hedge fund. She manages 70 people in her company. She has four children who are being homeschooled from home throughout the entirety of COVID who were all her responsibility. She was doing it all by herself. She prepped every single one of her own meals and every single one of her kids' meals, and she still made it to the gym six days a week. So please do not tell me you don't have time. You just suck at time management. So if time management is an issue, figure out ways to give back yourself more time. I'm going to schedule in 40 minutes of my day to either meal prep or to become more active. Pick one. Don't do both. Because yeah. both become And I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up as an example too, because that's something just in my experience and how I got started in the fitness industry, a lot of the clients that I'm connected with are those busy, that busy mom category. And it's the combination of trying to do both. Whereas if they could just put like a hundred percent effort for 20, 40 minutes, whatever it is into just tracking the food or just getting some kind of workout in and doing that repeatedly and consistently, the other piece that I try to highlight to them is like, once you show, not me, yourself, that you can do that consistently, then that becomes something, it's a habit, we check it off, you're a pro at it, and you have this sense of mastery in your head, and that mindset is very important to you then getting to the next level to create the space mentally to then time manage even further to be like, okay, I checked that off the list. I got my meal prep down. I do it on Sundays and Wednesdays or whatever it is that works for you. Now I'm going to add in my workouts. Let's baby step that, stair step that, whatever term you want to use. Let's start with two days a week. Can you get two days a week in? Because I guarantee you, if you get those two days a week, you're going to tell yourself you're successful. We'll throw on three days and just keep working through it that way. And I know that that sounds really cumbersome and slow for people when they're mm -hmm. on the receiving. Well, this is going to take forever. Okay. You have forever. I mean, assume, assuming that you're not going to get hit by a bus tomorrow, you have the rest of your life to change your habits, which will then in tune change how you look and feel. Realistically, if you're doing it consistently, it will be much quicker than you thought. But the problem is, is most people don't do it consistently because they go all in for six to eight weeks and then they stop for six to eight months. And that period of time becomes where most of the damage gets done. Because you're going from a reductionary method of cutting everything out and then saying, screw it, this didn't work, and then adding everything back in plus some. And now your metabolism is completely destroyed because you've gotten adapted to a thousand calories, but now you're eating 2,200 calories of all the wrong macronutrients. You're not training with the same intensity anymore. You're refusing to walk because you've just given up and you just want to sit because you're so tired all the time because you don't sleep and you stay up too late. So it's this cascading garbage effect of I'm not taking care of myself, but if I just took those little daily reminder steps, like put it, 
sometimes I'll send my clients a list and that list will literally have the same word on it 60 times for the next two months. And every time they cross off that one box next to that day, they won. And it could be that simple. Mm -hmm. I ate my water today. Boring, but good. Hit it. The next day, hit it. And now before they know it, they have 58 out of 60 check boxes. And that's, that's a monumental difference from where they were when they first started. But like you said, now you have mastery of it. There's empowerment that comes with that. Now you're like, okay, I can do something that I thought was previously difficult for me. So what's to stop me from trying to add in this one more thing if I feel as though I'm ready to now master something new? Yeah, very well said. And I think the visual piece too that comes with just checking the box or like the activity of like the, taking the step to do that and then allowing you to be able to zoom out and see that, it's like, okay, I can do this. Like I, I did do that. And it may sound elementary for somebody who's in their 30s, 40s, however old you are, but if you think about how you learn when you're a kid, there's a reason why those same principles can be applied to these types of scenarios because they worked then. So why why shouldn't they work now? And that's where we can uncomplicate all of this and unpack it. Well, it's also because of, like you said, learning. And because there is no formal education in any of this stuff, there's nowhere, there's no good resource for information. Typically, nutrition and fitness information is handed off secondhand. Mm-hmm. If it's not given to you secondhand from somebody you know, right? Like you're a fit friend or, you know, your aunt who lost 70 pounds doing whatever cockamamie diet, it's usually coming from somebody who wants to sell you something. And typically that something is a product. So what I always tell all my clients is if it's a product run immediately, if they said it's going to happen in six to eight weeks, run immediately. cut <laughs> out your favorite food groups run immediately. If it requires you to have to starve yourself and or overexert yourself, run immediately. Because if any of those things aren't blatantly obvious to the human being that has some level of rationale, that how the hell am I supposed to do this forever? Like I posted about this today, about not believing in challenges. Yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about that. So I'm glad you brought it up. I, just, I, I, I think the idea of kickstarting something is it necessarily a bad thing? No. Does it does it illuminate the underlying root cause of why you just can't stay with it? Absolutely not. It ignores that root cause, and it makes you now married to these challenges. And I, I, I've got fifty people commented on it today, and one woman said it really well. She said, "I have wasted so much time and money on challenges, and I'm worse off now than I've ever been." And that I to you, that, that's so that, frustrating to hear, but I believe it. Right. But how much money do you think she's had to dump into these challenges? A and- lot. And it seems like in the moment she's probably thinking like, oh, this is a hundred bucks. Like, and, and I think that that's where it really gets skewed to people. And I'm happy that she had that realization that like, if I actually add all this up and then look at how my progress doesn't match the air quotes effort that I put in, well, I wasted a lot more money than I could have if I just made the commitment to work with someone like I, I've really even gotten away from this in my own coaching of like, I make it really, I right out of the gate, I say to people, I'm really looking for the person who can dedicate at least six months to this, at least of being all in. Because I don't want to promise someone that they can see something in three because I, that's not fair. It's not. I didn't get to where I am in three months. 
So why am I going to tell you that you're going to? And I care about it enough, right? Like I, I even now, like there are lots of things over the past year personally, like I have a coach. I love having a coach to keep myself accountable. And there, there are things that I knew that I should have done differently, but I allowed business to get in the way, life changes to get in the way. And just giving myself that opportunity to take the step back and let someone else kind of like drive that bus and, and keep me on task has been super important. But at the same time, I'm consistently reminding myself like, hey, you didn't get to this unhappy state that you're in in two months. So don't expect to get to back to the super happy state that you were at. And I should say happy is contextual because there were things that maybe physically I was super happy with, but there was a lot of other mental shit that I wasn't dealing with. So it's like, at what cost? What's the trade-off? To me, would rather be doing it slow and be able to have that, like you said, 360 holistic overall happiness with multiple aspects of my life versus just one or maybe two. Yeah, and when you're ready for something that's very, very dialed in and, and very single point focused, you can dump all your energy into that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think an example of that is somebody who wants to undergo a fitness competition because they just want to see what that result looks like. Sure. Like that, that's somebody who knows the next 16 weeks of their life is going to be super uncomfortable and they're willing to give up those temporary satisfactions for that three seconds of stage time and those couple of pictures that are going to get snapped to them in that condition. I'll never fault somebody for doing that. I'll never, like I always tell all my females, like, I want you to take pictures of yourself every two weeks. And you don't need to show them to me ever. I don't care because I don't need to see them. We're getting body measurements. We're getting weight. We're good. Watch those pictures change. They're not going to change weekly, but month over month over month over month, you may weigh the same 220 that you did when you started, but you're going to be four sizes down and your circumference measurements around your thighs will be different. And the person that you're staring at in that picture today is wildly different than the person that you stared at four months ago. But we see each other in the mirror every day, and guess who's Constantly. gonna pick? And you're just sitting there microscoping everything, like this has to change, and this isn't good enough. And yeah, because you're standing in front of that stupid mirror. It's no the mirror and the scale are two things that will mess with your head if you allow them to every single time. I've done it. I mean, not so much the scale because I don't really care. For me, I like I my the doctor weighed me and I was two twenty two. I was like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this is great. But the mirror, oh, I could pick myself apart in front of that mirror for days, for oh, days. I, I know you touched on this from the very beginning and talking about your story and how you got here, but I do really appreciate your honesty with that because I even started thinking to myself of like trainers I've worked with, male versus female. I've always had a female nutrition coach, which I honestly think was just by chance. But anytime I've worked with a personal trainer, it's always been a male. And there was that level of feeling like he gets me in the sense that like it's more powerful or meaningful or impactful or whatever word you want to use because there's that sense of like understanding that even as a guy he feels this way too and the ability to connect with that and and kind of see maybe that more like vulnerable aspect is is comforting for people especially I, I think well I think it's also understanding that you're not going to have good days every day, whether it's with your nutrition or with your fitness, not every workout is going to be amazingly rewarding. And not every day are you going to nail your numbers to 100% adherence. Some days you just have to throw your hands up and say, fuck it, 70% was as good as I could do tonight. Okay, just don't make the next two weeks at that number. Right. 
Let them take, know what you didn't do today and understand why. And then tomorrow, try to make a couple of tweaks to make that better. Because when I analyze people's results week in and week out, I'm not looking at your your food diary on a daily basis unless I need to drill into it. I'm looking at a six-day average that's giving me your daily average caloric consumption, your daily average protein, carb, and fat intake. That's how your metabolism functions. If one day you eat 5,000 calories and then the next day you eat 2,000 calories, it's not like you put on weight because of the 5,000 calorie right. day or lose weight because of the 2,000 calorie day. Your body just kind of goes, yeah, that effect. 3,500, cool. That's about really what happens. And then multiply that by however many days you do it. And those constant inputs are what fuel your metabolism as opposed to, I went to Vegas for the weekend and didn't eat and basically just drank my calories for three straight days. So now I'm four pounds heavier. Not surprising. Let's not weigh ourselves as soon as we get back from Vegas. Let's maybe wait four or five days for your body to reset, normalize, get yourself back into your routine. And then jump on the scale and be like, oh, nothing happened. Literally, this nothing. certainly comes with the education piece as well, because being able to, for the person to just like go and do that thing, that event, that travel, whatever, I always tell people like, if you're trying to figure out the best time to start with me, like we had a conversation and you want to start ASAP, but you're going away next weekend. I'm like, start right now because this is your real life. And I want you to see when you start paying attention to this stuff and tracking it in whatever method possible that we can start to make correlations and we can start to understand like what causes X side effect. What is the impact of this thing? And I always love being able to take that data and show a person that when they can zoom out week over week, month over month, or even get in a little bit more of the nitty gritty of like one day to the next, but then take it and compare it to the average from the week before of being like, hey, that day that you assumed was really bad is not the reason why you got to where you are today that's making you unhappy. It was that collection of those incidences happening every weekend, every other night, every month. And that's where that information becomes so powerful in in giving you like a little bit a little bit of like grace from those one or two times when that can happen to show you that like, hey, this is not the end of the world. And it shouldn't be. And if you're, if you're really truly hung up on those momentary lapses, a very good example, seven days in a week, most people are usually good Monday through Thursday, mm -hmm. right? So four out of seven is 57%. So that means that Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for many people tends to be chaos erratic, less activity, more consumption, more erratic consumption. And then Monday is always that day where like, I'm going to go punish myself on whatever piece of cardio equipment I can find. And I'm going to starve myself for the next four days to then just repeat that cycle again. If you were 57% good in your relationship, how long do you think you'd be in a relationship for? Not too if you long. Were 50%, if you were 57% good at work, how long would you keep that job for? If you were 57% good in high school, would you have gotten to college? Probably not. So why do you expect to be good 57% of the time during the week with your fitness and nutrition, but expect to get 100% of that result when you treat yourself like an amusement park Friday, Saturday, and Sunday? So what I do is I, t I tell people, let's agree on a number of meals per day, and let's extrapolate that over a week. So let's call it four meals a day times seven days a week. 
right? So 28 meals. Give yourself six bad meals a week. I don't care how you space them out. It could be a shitty breakfast on Monday. It could be a bad lunch on Tuesday. It could be a bad dinner on Wednesday. It could be drinks on Thursday. However you want to extrapolate it, do it. But at least at that point, 22 out of 28 meals, let's just do the math because I can't think that fast. That's 79%. That's, that's a already big jump. That's a 20% difference in adherence with something that just gave you six meals of flexibility. So you can basically shit one meal out of every single day and still be fine. So that's what people need to start addressing is I don't care if you're dialed in for four straight days and then treat yourself like shit for three straight days. How often are you dialed in for and how much break are you giving yourself to understand what that result's going to look like? Because if you're doing 50% of the work and expecting 100% of the results, that's nobody else's fault but yours. No coach will help you through that. Jesus won't help you through that. Nobody's helping you through that. That is a you problem and a you problem only. But if you can actually dedicate yourself to, I know how many meals a day I can eat. I know how many days a week I have planned ahead for events or functions. So let's backfill those the rest of those days to make sure that we're planning around some of these things summertime right now people want to be outdoors people want to be drinking a little bit more fine budget that in you don't have to drink six days straight why don't you save some of that for a couple of days you're going to enjoy it a hell of a lot more than when you're not doing it every day right like if you want to have a piece of chocolate like a little dunk square at the end of every dinner that's not going to kill you but having three glasses of wine every single night while you're preparing your dinner which is maybe salad and a pro i only had a salad and chicken last night but you had 700 calories worth you of rosé. You your calories. Okay. Like, and you did that six days this week. And you're wondering why you're four pounds heavier on Monday. Like, it's not going to help you. So understand that anything that you do consistently can either help you or hurt you. That's it. Mm -hmm. Very well said. I want to be respectful of your time. And I feel like that's a powerful place to wrap it up. So we're going to move into the lightning round and finish it off on a little fun note. You ready? Yeah. All right favorite exercise like a movement you know compound you know basic like a lift that you just can't live without like if it was the only thing you could do for the rest of your life i'm gonna be such a meathead and say okay. incline, incline dumbbell 45 degree press okay what is your least favorite exercise like one that to keep it in your words what's the one thing in the gym that you suck at that you know if you do it you're gonna be better off for it uh hip thrusts barbell hip thrust i'm with you on that one I, I, I like training glutes but i just find them really uncomfortable so i'm like a baby that was a pain in the ass unless like this gym that i've been going to here in san diego has every glute machine you've ever seen so like you have the they have the belt oh it's, are those are great i wish every gym had those i was in nashville recently and they had one in there and i had never used it before and i was like wow this is awesome yeah, it takes all, you don't have to like yeah. roll the ball, get it up on your hips, get it down, you're making noise. It's a nightmare. If you could change one thing about the fitness or nutrition industry, let's call it the wellness industry in general, and you could change it tomorrow, and this is a loaded question, what would it be? Uh, I would install some mechanism for integrity. So like, say you're accredited through XYZ certification, 
that accreditation comes with a stipulation that you have to operate in a certain way. And the second that you operate outside of those bounds. So say like, you know, obviously we understand that sustainability is key. And then if we start selling something crazy that like, we're at that point, we're just in it for the money. Like there should be a punishment for the people that just end up trying to circumvent the real way to do things. Like if, if you've been doing it this way, but now you're selling your clients on something completely different, like you should lose all accreditation and be pulled from any further ability to work with people ever again. Because if there was a ramification for the lack of integrity in this business, there would not be anybody left. There'd be like a hundred coaches on the planet. I actually recorded a podcast with a friend on his podcast about this, a version of that exact topic. Just the fact that it's such a catch 22, how easy it is to get into this industry because like, okay, great that you can find opportunities. Sure. Like I want the, if this is your passion, like it, it, you're making it happen. Cool. But at the same time, there are way too many stories out there of people who are like legitimately getting hurt by not just like physically, but the emotional and mental piece of it. And, and that's making it that much harder to figure out where to go. And I think that's something we've definitely highlighted through this conversation of like, that's where the overwhelm comes from. And it's really important for us to continue to share the information of like, let's uncomplicate this and let's truly educate people. That should, that should be the number one goal of every trainer. If you're just going through the motions with your clients and putting them through something, or if you're just telling somebody quick fix diet ideas, like, oh, this is what worked for me. So just try cutting 800 calories out of your next three days. If that's the, like, if you can't think outside the box enough to not let those be automatic answers, you should not be able to practice with human beings. Immediately, like, you, there should be some accrediting body because there's not. It's crazy. And, you know, I think that for the listener, it brings out the opportunity to just remind people like you have to be your own self-advocate through all this stuff that requires being honest with yourself with what we've talked about in terms of like, are you really willing to put in this work? But also if something doesn't sound right, like in the sense of what you're sharing, of like if they promise you this thing, run, if this they promise you that thing, run, like listen to that because there's a reason why you feel that way. And we can promise you that whatever results you may think you're going to get on the other side of there will not be worth it in that regard because the ramifications in the long run can be very serious for your health problems if you really stick to that long enough too. Yeah. But not least, what is your shameless plug? Where can we find you? So everything is for at four weeks to the beach, the number four and the number two weeks to the beach on Instagram. That's where I spend most of my time. I talk to people on Instagram. I message everybody back. I comment on everybody who comments on me. Um, listen, there's, there's so much business for all of us that for me to say, hit me up for, for information versus hit you up for information if I get a client and you get a client, great. If you get a 10 and I get five, great. There's no, as a good coach in this business, neither one of us loses ever because anybody that's over the age of 10 who's eating food and moving needs help. So basically the entire planet is our client pool. So if you're a good, that would be out of work. 
And if you're a good coach, you should never be threatened by other good coaches because if anything, they just enhance your practice. hundred percent. Even in the two times we've connected via Zoom and then whenever we go back and forth via DM, I learned something new from our conversation. And that's been such a great part about podcasting for me too because it provides the outlet to connect with someone that maybe I just wouldn't necessarily have had the opportunity to reach out to before. And I think that constant pursuit of learning is just really, really important. You have to. I mean, I know there's so many people I reach out to on Instagram who I offer to pay them for their time because a lot of th there are a lot of professionals in this business who don't want to do things for free, which is mm -hmm. fine. You know, sometimes people get too big for their britches too fast and they feel as though they need to be compensated for every five seconds. But, you know, I'm willing to play ball if I, if I find that that information can benefit one of my clients. I'll pay. Yeah, the, the, it's a business expense for me. So why not? Because if it's a consult right. that I can. If I can learn something from that individual and then go and apply it and derive some level of result that I couldn't have gotten before, so be it. That's what I want. If I can't get an answer for you, I'll make sure that I either connect you with a person who can, or I'm going to dig deep and find that answer for you because that's what you're paying me to do, or that's what you're asking of me to do. And I'm never going to shut somebody down. Like I, I get frustrated when people reach out for help and then don't pursue it. Because a lot of times people, will dm you or say whatever like oh like, like let's get started let's jump on a call and then you're offering up 20 minutes here 20 minutes there and then they're just constantly pushing you back it's either you just don't give a shit enough to respect my time which granted i have plenty of it but still like I, for me to like have to sit down and be waiting for your phone call here just be respectful of like yes we're coaches yes we're very generous with our time but just understand if you truly want to go down this road know that it's going to require you to do the work. So if we're willing to put our effort into you, granted, yes, we're getting paid. It's still an investment of us into you because we bleed with you every single time you have a good day or a bad day. And I think a lot of clients need to understand that because this isn't just about the money. Like, yes, it, it puts a roof over our head and creates a lifestyle for us. But if we didn't give a shit about the people that we were working with, we wouldn't do this. We would be out, we would be working for Beachbody and we'd be selling bullshit products. And I don't really care that I can call them out because I'll call them out all day long. Or Shakeology or some other cockamamie stupid brand that exists. It's so it's so true what you said about like you feel and you bleed right along with somebody because by the same token, when they do have that win and they can tell you that it was a win, that is like the best feeling ever versus being on the phone with someone, being on Zoom with someone and basically re-spitting and reframing the story for them in their head to start to get them in that positive headspace of like, look, but this went well this week. Oh, but this went well this week. There's nothing that's more gratifying for me as a coach when I do get someone on the phone after a couple weeks, couple months, maybe even a year. Like again, there's no set timeline on this and they tell me, Oh, this week I went to the pool and I felt so confident in my bathing suit. Like I didn't prompt that. that. That was the first thing they wanted to tell me when we got on the phone. That makes me smile so big. And that really, it's it's just the best part. Like I, I can't put a monetary value on that because I know how that feels having been the person and constantly being the person who struggles with that myself, even with everything I know and preach and practice and do. Yeah. No, I mean, you're so right. It's when you hear those little victories, like I, I had a girl that was really struggling. She was going through a divorce and she had said that she went for a family picnic and she hadn't seen some of her relatives in a while. And they were all commenting on how good she looks. 
Meanwhile, she's been not happy with how she looks because she feels as though she hasn't changed at all, even though I've told her measurements are down, strength is up, body comp has changed. She finally got that validation from people that she knows. And now it just became real. Now that put that put more gasoline on that fire. Now she's going to work that much harder. It's awesome. Well, Aram, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Definitely will not be the last time to have you back on The Fix because there are just so many different topics we can explore. So you won't be a stranger to the show. As he shared, you can find him at Four Weeks to the Beach, number four, letter two. I will make sure to link all of that down in the show notes. I tag Aram often on my Instagram stories. So if you want to find him that way too, that's another option. I appreciate everybody who's listened to the show today. As always, we benefit by you guys sharing this. And as we said, education is the biggest driver here. So if you took something away from this, that even if it's one small change that you can carry in your health and wellness journey, please do us a favor, do yourself a favor in spreading that to other people. Anyone you think can learn something from this, that's helping us further our mission of what we're trying to do in the health and wellness industry. This has been your latest episode of The Fix, and we hope you guys have an awesome rest of your day. Thank you.